hashtag Pistons podcast. I'm Joe. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. Joined as usual today by Kuka Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Kuka Hill NBA. Uh, he is the site expert for pistonpowered.com. Today, we also have an additional guest, a special guest today. We have Valentine, who is the um, the head dude of the Pistons Twitter for France, the Pistons France Twitter account, which has 7,000 followers, a uh, really significant account. We've interacted quite a bit. I really enjoy all of the international accounts, um, and you can find them on Twitter at D-E-T Pistons F-R, so D-E-T Pistons F-R. So, yeah, so we've got him on today. Um, we're going to talk about a few different things, but the main thing we obviously want to hear from Valentine is Stuff about Seco Dumboya, which I think that is the correct pronunciation. I've heard it enough now. But um, so, Valentine, the first thing that I'd want to ask is just sort of um, what was the what is the sort of general consensus in France about Seco, like heading up to the draft and then now that he's been drafted? Well, so, you know. In France, we speak about Seku since maybe 2015, 2016, so it's a huge talent. At first, when I see we select Seku, man, I, I was just excited because he's the fr- first French player in peace history. And then I began to analyze this pick, and uh, I found it perfect because Seku represents everything we need in our roster. He's a young talent who can improve his game thanks to KZ and his instance. Uh, he's a six nine, so we needed some someone with great size and athletic skills. Uh, he can run in transition, yeah, he's really fast, grab ribbon, defend on free position in NBA. I mean, so even though he has to improve his shoot, I think he can really he can already shoot the ball well. And uh, beyond his basketball skills, uh, man, this kid is really spiritual, really smart, with a good attitude, fighting for it, and. I believe it can represent values of uh, the city of Detroit. And uh, moreover, I know some well, some American people like to underestimate or underrate um, the French League or the other European basketball leagues. But Seku is 18, and he has already played three or four professional seasons in his career. He won a gold medal with um, the young French team alongside uh, Frank, uh, Frank Nilikina. So, well, I think it's really really good pick for, for us. And uh, the consensus, uh, like uh, you said in France, is that Seku is a, a huge talent, but he has to 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 be in a good situation to develop um, his talent. And I think Detroit is a perfect place uh, for for him because um, we have a huge uh, coaching staff who, who trust in in a young talent. So I think Seku uh, be a, a good player in Detroit, but we have to we he has to to work and we have to be patient with him. Okay. Um, there is one thing that maybe you could answer for me is so now I'm not going to try and say the names cause I'm sure I'll mess them up. But so before he started playing professionally, he was playing for an academy of some sort, I think in Paris, but his Wikipedia page at least said that he got, um, basically kicked out for some sort of a disciplinary reason. Now he would have only been, I think 14 or 15 years old at the time, but is there any, is there anything to that or, that he got kicked out of that one academy, or is that just kind of not actually true and just on Wikipedia? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. He, he he played before Poitiers. Poitiers is a small city uh, in France. Before uh, Poitiers, he played uh, in an academy uh, in France called uh, INSEP. 
is a, a youth academy uh, where uh, Boris Dio and Tony Parker uh, played uh, when they were young. So yeah, he, he kicked out uh, because of some yeah behavior issues. But yeah, he, at this time he doesn't have a, a really good um, how to say that cycle uh, well cycle um, next to him. So he he, he just had his parents, not agent, etc. Now he has a, a really good, um, really good close cycle uh, with him. Uh, his agent, uh, Indiai, who, who is really, really famous. Uh, Indiai is the agent of uh, Nicolas Batum, Rudy uh, Gobert, uh, Ivan Fournier, etc. So he's really good for, for the young, uh, young talent. And uh, I think uh, this behavior issue that happened when um, he was uh, uh, 50, it's just the past now. Is really he, well in France. He, Seku Dumbuya is described as a, a really special kid because he's he really smart, really passionate, and really really open-minded. Okay, well that that makes me feel a little bit better about that because I just obviously I I literally knew almost nothing about him when they drafted him. Yeah, and so one of the first things I did is I just went to his Wikipedia page, and that was one thing that was there. So. Um, as you said, so at the time with that he was kicked out of the academy, it was just him and his mom. Yeah. But now you say he's got a better sort of support system around him. He's got a good agent and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, especially when you're such a young kid, that really does matter. And I guess there's almost a degree to which because of the fact that, you know, obviously he was he was only like one year old when he moved to France. So he wouldn't remember that. But because... He's been playing at an academy, and then he's played professionally for, as you said, what, two or three seasons now. Yeah. There's a little bit less worry with uh, sort of adjusting to being a professional, I think, right? Because a lot of, you know, if you draft a guy out of college who played college in uh, the United States and had played in the United States, and they'd sort of been home and they're 19 and you draft them, then there's always a worry about how they'll adjust to being a pro and sort of being out on their own, so to speak. But for Seco, uh, he's kind of been doing that for a few years now. Obviously, it'll be a big change going from France to the United States. Yeah. But I think that that makes you a little bit more comfortable about that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's that, totally right, uh, Joe. Uh, Seku lived uh, alone without his family in the past three, three years. He, in a small city uh, called Limoges, and um, yeah, he, he just was alone in a small, a small apartment. So yeah, he he knows how to 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 rock without his family. So I think the transition between um, between France and in uh, America will not be a big deal for him because uh, since maybe since he since he became pro in 2016, I mean, uh, the basket. Ball is was the only thing that Seku wants in life. So he's not he's not a young player who who is attracted to some parties or some girls, drugs, alcohol, etc. So he's a really good kid who just wants to play the ball. And I think that it's very important in in Detroit today uh, with um, the philosophy that uh, Ed Stefanski and Dwayne Casey want. A good kid with a good mentality, good attitude, and Seku represents everything uh, the front office wanted from young players. Okay. Hey, I'm already feeling a whole lot better about this pick after this because that was the, those were a couple of the things I was a little bit like, I'm just curious what 
you know, people who've followed his career a little bit closer know about him in this degree. And you've said nothing but great things here. So from everything that I'm taking away here, he is a mature kid. He's a smart kid. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy who, like you said, I love that you said that all he wants to do is he wants to hoop. He's not trying to go to parties all the time. He's not someone who's, you know, he's not obsessed with the other stuff. He's obsessed with being a basketball player. And that honestly might be the best news that you could hear because when you get a guy who is, you know, a pretty raw player, you have to count on them being able to improve significantly as a basketball player. And the best chance that that happens is if you've got a guy who, like you said, he doesn't want to do anything but be a great basketball player. So that really bodes well for his potential to develop. Yeah, and and, and for in order to give you an example, in France, every French ball, every French fan have higher expectation on Deku than Frank Nilikina when he, he, he got drafted by, uh, by the Knicks. So he's a really good talent, a huge talent, uh, a better talent than uh, Frank Nilikina when uh, when he, he when he get drafted by uh, by the Knicks. Okay, well that also him being a better talent that kind of lines up with some other stuff we've heard because um, Vince Ellis of the Free Press wrote a piece and he said that Seco was fifth overall on the Pistons big board. So the Pistons clearly believed that he was that kind of a high talent, and it was really just luck that he he fell all the way to them. So, yeah. Um, then here's the last thing that I'd ask you about Seko right now is because obviously you've paid closer attention to him. Do you think that from a physical standpoint he'll be ready to play real NBA minutes this season, or do you think that he'll take some time to sort of mature just body-wise? Uh, well... I think he can improve his body because he's he just um, 18. But as I said at the beginning of this podcast, Seku is 6'9". And uh, he really he already have every athletic, physical tools to play in NBA. Maybe not, maybe I think and I hope that he will not be uh, in the starting five this season. But behind Tony Snell, I think, he could be he could play maybe 50 minutes per per night per game uh, because he really is really versatile okay he, he don't he doesn't have a really weakness in his play he can improve every every everything in in um, in offensive or, or defensive um, uh, ways but it could bring a, a really good defensive impact now in in the in uh, the first season in nba Okay. Hey, these are all things I'd like to hear. Koo, do you have anything you want to ask him about this? Uh, I just had a, uh, a quick question. I, what do you feel about the comparisons people make to make between Sekou and Pascal Siakam? They're both long. They're both um, tall players, tall, strong, uh, supposed to be strong wings down the line, Sekou. And, you know, kind of the player that Pascal is, good, really good defender, wrecks havoc in transition on fast break, extremely athletic, and a developing three ball. What do you think about that kind of comparison? I think this, this comparison is smart and really true, but I think Sekou Dumbuya has more skills and more is more ready than Pascal Sakam was when he, he arrived in, a, in NBA. Because he's more physical now, 
than uh, Pascal Siakam in 2000, I don't remember, 16, I think, something like that, uh, when he, he got drafted by uh, Toronto. But uh, I think, yeah, Sekou could become a Pascal Siakam-like uh, because, yeah, uh, as you said, he's long, very tall, very versatile, or has already a shoot very well. He can become a player like Pascal Siakam. So the, the comparison is, is, is uh, true, real, and uh, I think uh, uh, Sekou could bring everything that Pascal Siakam has today. But his potential, I think, the expectation from Sekou is higher than uh, Pascal Siakam in 2016 uh, uh, during his first season uh, with, uh, with the Raptors. Okay, and um, I've heard you say a couple times about his shooting. So you've watched him for a while. You you're saying uh, that you trust his jump shot. You trust that the develop. Because I know that uh, I read a couple things that said that he made it like a a point of emphasis in his pro days, workouts, and all that to prove that hey, I've been working on my jumper. I have a jumper. I can shoot. The, I can shoot the ball really well. And he like made it a point of emphasis to show that he could do that. So you're saying through the time watching you, you believe that his jumper is for real and that it's something that's only getting better. Yeah, yeah. I think his jump chop is very inconsistent from now, but me- mechanics looks good. And uh, I think with a coaching stack like Dwayne Casey, Sean Sweeney, uh, etc., I think it could really improve quickly his shot. But we we saw in France in the past few years that um, that is shooting is a jump shot never stops to improve. So I think it's a good sign for the NBA. Um, one thing about Pascal Siakam is, uh, so you have to remember, obviously, so Pascal Siakam went and played college for two years yeah. before he um, played in the NBA. So in Pascal Siakam's first college season, which would be, I'm assuming, about the same age that Seko is now, because Seko is still 18, so about the same age, he played for New Mexico State. He did start for them. He played like 30 minutes per game, but he scored like 12 points per game uh, and was a really good defender, and he didn't shoot threes at all. So, now, he was still a good player as a freshman. He had a phenomenal sophomore season, but I would say just given – so it's particularly for New Mexico State, which is not a powerhouse basketball program at all or a powerhouse conference, um, the French – professional leagues, particularly the top league, which is where he played this past season, that's a higher level of competition, I'd say. And the numbers are not totally comparable. He didn't play nearly as much and such, but um, the outline is similar, and Seco was playing against better competition, I would say. Um, I guess that'd be sort of the last thing here that I'm curious about is, so if we're NBA fans that have never watched a game of French basketball in our lives, which is does count me, I've never watched a full French basketball game ever, what would be the sort of level of competition that Seco has been playing against the past few well, years? That's a tough question because the French league is very difficult to describe because, well, the level of competition is really... They don't. Uh, there isn't a. There aren't many great teams. Like there are many teams which have more or less the same level. So it's very difficult to accept maybe two or three 
teams. I think the game is very particular because there aren't great scores. Every player scores, every player defends. It's something like that. I think the French League is very good for a young player to develop uh, his leadership and his um, the collect in the well the the ball movement etc. I think the French League is good for that. But you don't learn many things about the NBA games when you play in France because in France you we to put an importance on the tactics and the the, um, the ball movement etc. So Sekou Dumbuya I think has learned many things about the basketball, about the ball movement, about the defense, about the offensive way. But he has to improve in comparison with Pascal Siakam who played in New Mexico. Maybe he needs to to develop his knowledge about the American basketball, which is very different in comparison in the European basketball. So Pascal Siakam maybe had a little advantage because he knew the basketball, the American basketball, and the the play in NCAA and NBA. Maybe it's more like a two league which are looks alike, but in France. The play is more about the ball movement and without great player, uh, without all-stars or without uh, a huge talent. It's just about play together in a team spirit. I don't know if uh, I I was really uh, no, no, really good. Awesome. <laughs> perfect. You do it. That was perfect. And you actually, so you brought up the point that in in the French League, there's not a lot of really big time scores. And so yeah. I brought up um, Limoges. Is that how you pronounce that? Limoges. You, you speak about his team, right? Yeah. Limoges. Yeah. Limoges. Limoges. Okay. Yeah. So, because a lot of people, when they drafted him, they were upset. And one of the things they said is Seco only averaged like eight points per game last season. And that is true. But so I'm looking at their team's stat sheet. Their leading scorer scored less than 14 points per game. So, yeah, that's a great point that you made that that should maybe make... No, that, not that that means that Seco is going to be some big-time score right out of the gate, but for people who are worried about the fact that Seco scored 7.8 points per game, in the French League, that's there's a lot of guys who score about that. You know, It's not that he's not involved in the offense, it's just that Nobody scores a lot of points. No individual players really score a lot of points. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry, the game is shorter. Huh? It's, a, it's not a four four quarters or twelve minutes. It's ten minutes. Oh, I didn't know that either. See, these are these are helpful things. So not only is it just guys in general don't score as much, but there'd be what? So there'd be uh, eight less minutes per game then. So yeah, so that. That's a that does that makes me feel a little bit better about it too. And to sort of tack on to what you were saying about how because there's and this is true in a lot of European leagues too, um, that there's a much heavier focus on sort of ball movement and playing as a team, and there's less individual. You know, essentially there's more team basketball, and that helps. And then I've mentioned this in the last podcast, but another thing that makes a difference is that. You know, when you're a player who comes up in America, right? So you play middle school basketball, you play high school basketball, you play college basketball, and all throughout that, you're also playing AAU. 
at each level you play at, your coaches are trying to make you the best player for that level. So when you're in high school, your coach is trying to make you the best high school basketball player you can. When you're in college, your coach is trying to make you the best college basketball player you can. But Seko, because of the fact that he's been playing professionally, essentially, for like three years, he spent most of his basketball life learning to be the best professional player he can. And I think that's another thing that really bodes well for both his long-term potential and for his potential to contribute right away. Because, you know, a lot of guys, when they get drafted into the NBA, one of the biggest adjustments they have to make is that I'm not the star anymore, right? I'm not the best player on my team anymore. Because most guys who make it to the NBA, every single team they've ever been on, they've probably been the best player on the team. And he doesn't have to make that adjustment. You know, he was a role player last season in France, essentially. And so that's the role he's been playing so far because they've been bringing him along to be a professional player first. And I think that's a really big advantage there, too. So if you've got anything else you want to say about him before we move on, go ahead. Otherwise, we can start to move on. Yeah, and if you want... uh... A great comparison. Uh, Evan Fournier, when he played in France, averaged just maybe 11 or 12 points per game. That is, that's a that's a great example. And Evan Fournier was at this time a better scorer than Sekou was last year. So I think we cannot really compare box scores in France and in uh, America. Yeah, that. See, this is all so helpful to me. This is excellent. I'm so glad that we had you on here to tell us these things. Um, so then we're going to move on to uh, some other things. So the first thing is, so obviously you are a fan of the Pistons living in France. Yeah. Um, so I'd just like to know first, how did you come to become a Pistons fan while living in France? Because you have lived in France your entire life. So it's not like, you know, you were somewhere else and then you moved there. So yeah. how did you come to become a Pistons fan? That's a really good question, Joe. Uh, I think that's a really, really funny, funny fact, because my my brother play at 2K, maybe NBA 2K7 on the PlayStation, and uh, he began to to play uh, draft mode, you know, and uh, he had rip, and uh, when I was uh, seven, uh, this player Rip Hamilton. He, he had a mask. So when I begin to when I begin to watch NBA to play 2K, I just want to watch the guy with the mask. That's just the beginning of the, of the stuff. That's that's it. <laughs> and uh, after and then I begin I began to to read to watch uh, the Piston history, and uh, I think that I really felt uh, fell in love about the values, the defensive values, the bad boys, the mentality. And I think that's a really a thing that that I like in the sports in generally is the defense. And uh, Detroit, also Detroit, I, uh, the, the city of Detroit, um, I read many books, many history books about Detroit and I love, I love your history. Really, I think that Detroit is a, a huge city, really, with a great history, very interesting story, and uh, uh, I also I also listened many many 
many songs uh, about uh, from uh, Eminem uh, career. So when uh, I begin begin to to watch basketball, everything uh, has been linked around Detroit. So the defensive aspect of your of your game, the city of Detroit, Eminem, uh, many many things uh, was linked were linked around Detroit. So I I. I begin to to support um, to um, yeah to support Detroit. All right, hey, that's sweet, and it all started from two K seven and yeah. Rip Hamilton, and that's awesome. And you know, it's funny because uh, it was a while back now, but I just put out on Twitter asking for international fans to say how they came to become fans of the Pistons, and. It's remarkable how many people become fans of a team, not even just the Pistons, because they played them on a video game or something like that. And it's just that's just kind of funny to me, but it's also awesome because you're just like, that guy's awesome. I want to root for that guy's team. And then you learn more about the team's history and the city's history and such. And, yeah, that's, that's how it goes, and that's awesome. Um, and then the next thing that I want to know is just sort of what's it kind of – what's it like to be – an NBA fan while living in France? Well, I think now, in 2019, the NBA is growing up, really. Uh, many, many accounts in on Twitter uh, are making a great job to improve uh, the, the NBA, the community around the basketball. Uh, well, Obviously, Tony Parker, Boris Dio, etc., had a huge impact in France. But I think it's a really, I think it's a really, really particular life to be an NBA fan because every people who are, are um, well, when you don't split, uh, when you don't, uh, yeah, when you you don't sleep uh, much, <laughs> you you know that you are NBA fan in France because. You every every NBA fan in France are tired because we don't sleep many times. Uh, in my in my uh, in my case, I just sleep many three or four hours per night, something like that, because uh, the game are very late at night, so we don't sleep, and uh, we just we just uh, analyze, debate, speak about NBA on Twitter. We yeah. We write so many articles during the night, so we don't sleep. But you know, no man, that, that's a passion. We we love basketball, we love the game, and uh, we just want to 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 speak about the game, to to watch NBA games, to play b-ball on uh, the playground, etc. So in France, that's a huge um, a huge uh, community uh, who, which uh, is growing up, uh, day, day to day. And I think that's a good thing because, uh, it's a very, a sport, it's a sport very followed by following by many people in France. That is dedication. Sleeping like four hours a night to watch the piston. <laughs> I feel bad about how bad the pistons have been for like your entire time following them now that you yeah. <laughs> sleep to follow them. We need to get them better for you. I just want to say uh, I absolutely love what he said about Detroit and his history or how he that's why he gravitated over here. I think that's absolutely amazing. I think it's really cool that you went and learned about the Detroit's history as a city and and our hi history as a basketball team with 
defense and and toughness and all of that, and that made you gravitate towards uh, the Pistons. I think that's really cool. Yeah, uh, because you know, in France, when when uh, when we some people ask me why I became a Piston fan because Detroit is not the most uh, famous team in France, but I just want to to answer them that the Pistons is a great team, but when you become a Piston fan. You become also a kind of a lover of the, of the city because Detroit, for me, is an amazing city with an history very interesting, and uh, I I have written so many articles about you know the crisis, the golden age, etc. And I think that Detroit is is a city that will never die because it, it's a city very 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 interested about what you. What unfortunately, what you you knew in the past years, but uh, I think that's very interesting to understand that uh, Detroit was the a city like New York today before, and they could become a new New York maybe in, in, in two maybe in ten twenty years later. But uh, this city with your every your your well, your um, your history about uh, motors, about uh, music, Motown, about the sports, etc. I think that it it make the team interested like your city. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Also, I'm not actually even from the east side of the state. I'm from the other side of the state. But Koo keeps his Detroit feels close by, so he that that's really pleasing to him. I think that that's Joe. That's absolutely amazing, dude. That that right there is amazing. Okay. Um. So, Koo, do you have anything else you want to say on that? Otherwise, we can start to get into. Um. We probably got like twenty minutes or so yet here. Uh. We can start to get into some free agency stuff. No, I don't really. I mean, I, I guess I could include my dad. Uh, my dad used to live in uh France. He was born in uh. Yeah. He was born in Africa and moved to France. Uh, moved to France when he was like. I believe like 10 or somewhere around there. But he used to tell me all the time about how when he was growing up, uh, when he was growing up, everybody talked about the bad boys. And he said the big thing over there with him, with him and all his uh, friends. And he wasn't really into basketball like that, but he said it was really popular. The bad boys and Michael Jordan. He said, those were like two of the big things going on. Everyone knew who they were and all that stuff. So I think it's really cool that even like all this time has passed and, there's a Piston fan here from France and talking about the history of the city. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's cool because, you know, when you... Today, when you, you want to become an NBA fan, every kid wants to become Warriors fan, Bulls fans, Lakers fans, Celtics fans. And there, there is a, a smaller wave that wants to be different. And when I began, began to, to follow the NBA, I didn't really want to be like every people to to be a Lakers fan, Celtics fan. That's boring, man. That's boring. Detroit is maybe not a team we, with many fans in France, but that's why I like Detroit. Because we maybe we we are we are just twenty, thirteen, fourteen, I don't know, Piston fan in France, but we are better in a small community that in a huge community with some people that doesn't know uh, doesn't understand uh, the game, so I never regret 
to to become uh, to choose um, Detroit as a, my favorite team. All right, hey, hopefully they start to get better so that you can even less regret because <laughs> man, <laughs> that's a lot of dedication to follow a team that's been so bad for so long now. I don't know that I, I mean, I at this point I definitely would, but whew, I don't know that they would have been my first choice if I were. If I were living in France or somewhere that I had to sleep four hours a night, if I was going to follow a team, yeah, that's rough. To give you an example, my first NBA season was uh, Greg Monroe rookie season. Oh man, <laughs> that's a rough <laughs> stretch to be a Pistons fan, man. And I was at this time, at this time, I was just maybe eleven, twelve, something like that. Now and now I uh, I'm 19, so yeah, uh, I was just 11 when I began to to follow the Pistons with uh, Greg Monroe's rookie season. All right, well, we are thrilled to have you as a Pistons fan. Thank you. Absolutely thrilled. Thank you. Uh, so then I think we can start to go into some free agency stuff. Yeah, of course. Uh, I made. I made Koo promise that he's going to keep himself in control for this podcast. He can go wild <laughs> next podcast. But, um, so, obviously, the only guy that is basically confirmed, I think it's pretty much confirmed, Derek Rose is going to be a Piston. So, yeah. um, Valentine, I'm curious on your thoughts on that first. Honestly, well, honestly, I don't have a true opinion on Derek Rose yet. Everything will depend on this contract, I think. Well, I agree, he's a true talent, a good basketball player, obviously. Uh, it would be a great for bench because he brings some points behind uh, Reggie Jackson. But I think in our situation, in 2019, it doesn't represent a security behind Reggie Jackson. He could be injured too many times during a season. Guys, remember, Reggie and Blake are very injury-prone injury, uh, players for me, even they don't, uh, didn't get some injuries uh, this uh, this season, except Blake Griffin at the end. But I think Ishmis, maybe Curry Joseph or something like that is maybe a player who brings more security behind Reggie. But, well, I think the most important goal, the main important goal for us this summer is to sign two-point guards. So I I assume the deal with Derrick Rose is almost done. So we have to sign a last point guard behind D-Rose and Reggie Jackson. Uh, with a different profile than uh, than both. So I would like to see Ish coming back because he's not a combo guard like Giroz and his offensive pace is something crucial for, for us. So, even, well, with Sekou Dumbuya who, who is really fast, who run in transition, maybe with Ish, with, with Ish who brings uh, his uh, offensive pace, it could be... A, it could be a really good dynamic draw for our second unit. So if we sign, uh, like reports uh, said, Derrick Rose behind Reggie, that's cool. That's uh, a great stuff. But we have to, to have a third point guard because I think today Derrick Rose is not really a point guard. It's more like a combo guard. So I would like to, to have a third point guard behind Derrick Rose and Reggie Jackson who, who have who has a different profile. Well, that's fair. I don't think so. My understanding is that the contract is going to be a two-year contract for $15 million total, so it would be like seven and a half per year. Um, 
I would be surprised if they would have enough space underneath the tax to bring back Ishmith in addition to that. Yeah. Uh, just because of the realities. And, I mean, we've talked about Derrick Rose a bunch on the podcast here. He can get to the hoop still. I like that. The Pistons need that. Um, like you said, though, the injury issues are still worries. So in the last, let's see, one, two, three, four. In the last five years, Derrick Rose has played 51, 66, 64, 25, and 51 games last year. So that is a worry for me. And I'm not sure how I feel about going for a guy who is you pretty much have to plan on him not playing more than like 65 games in the season. Uh, especially when, even though, like you said, he did have a healthy season last year. Uh, Reggie Jackson doesn't have the best injury history. Blake Griffin has a bad injury history. It just, that's a little bit of a worry, but I don't mind adding Derrick Rose too much. My main preference would have still been to sign a, uh, use most of their money on another wing player but clearly they decided that Derrick Rose was the guy that they wanted. Um, I'm sure Ku wants to say at least something about this right now. So Ku, you can say at least a small piece right now. I'm not, I'm not going to go crazy. Joe has promised me a podcast that I can go crazy on. So I won't be going crazy, but I'll keep it. I'll keep it simple here. Um, obviously the injury concerns are legit, very legit, but um, I just like to say this that if you want to find hope, which I'm finding hope because, of course, I'm a D-Rose fan, um, Arnie Kander is pretty much Jesus, and uh, he comes back, and Reggie Jackson has plays all 86 games the Pistons played last year. Blake stayed healthy the entire year into the playoffs. And a lot, I believe that if he was better managed or didn't have as much of a load on his shoulders throughout the first, like, what was it, like three, four months of the season, he probably doesn't wear down at the end. That's just my opinion. But I think with Arnie Cantor there, I think that if there was a situation where you could see Derrick Rose play more games than we've seen him play in the last, what would you say, Joe, four years you said you went back? Five, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Arnie Cantor gives him the best chance at that. So that gives me some hope that he could stay relatively healthy this year for us. And also last year for the Timberwolves, he could have played down the stretch. He could have continued to play down the stretch, but they were out the playoffs. So he sat out, I believe, like the last 14 games. But uh, either way, he de- the injury concerns are definitely legit, but I think Arnie Kander gives us at least a little bit of hope that he can work his, his magic, that he's worked with just about everybody we've ever seen play for the Pistons. But that that's all I got to say on that. Yeah, and that's fair. Um, Arnie Kander, I – Everyone said that he was a wizard when he was with the Pistons, and then obviously he left for a few years. I think he tried; he retired, actually, technically for a few years, didn't he? Yeah. They convinced him to come out of retirement as a special consultant or whatever. But um, he's done a lot of good work in the past. Obviously, he got Reggie Jackson through last season, nearly got Blake Griffin through last season. So that certainly is a reason for some hope. Um, but yeah, so I promised Koo that he'd get his own podcast for that. So we can move on to other free agency stuff. So wait, 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 I have to ask, I have to ask Valentine a question about him. Uh, just real quick, Valentine. Um, I know that D Rose is, there's been articles about how popular he is overseas. Uh, I know he's extremely popular in China. 
And they, I think he's extremely, I know he's extremely popular over there. Uh, is he popular over in France too? Or is that just, or is it just over there in China? I, I know he's popular overseas. I've seen articles about him being like, I'm pretty sure he's still like last year, they said he was still like a top 15 popular athlete, even after all the injuries and the downfall. So is, is he is that popular in France too? Or is that just over there in China? Uh, it's really, really, really popular in France. I've today, many, many, many kids began to play to play basketball to watch NBA thanks to Derrick Rose. So there's a huge community of diehard Derrick Rose fans. Yeah, of course, the Bulls fans, but even in the other team, other fan base in France, I think Derrick Rose is is considered as maybe a, a god, a basketball god in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Derrick Rose is a, at the same level than players like KD, Kobe, LeBron, etc. Derrick Rose is, is really, really popular in France, yes. Okay, I figured, I, I, I thought that, but I just wanted, since you were here, I just wanted to confirm it. Okay, I've got a question that's like at least somewhat connected to that. Because Koo brought up that Derrick Rose is really popular in China, I'm curious about something. So in China, a lot of NBA players have kind of goofy nicknames of various sorts. Um, it's like, just as an example, they the translation for Steph Curry's nickname translates to Skyfucker because his shots go so high that they call him the Skyfucker. Uh, so I'm just curious, is that is that something that you guys do in France, like give them goofy French nicknames, or do you pretty much just call people by their names or by their nicknames in English? Generally, every basketball, uh, French basketball fan stick to English terms, even with terms like fadeaway, dunk, layup, alley-oop, step back. Every terms in English, we don't translate it in French. So that's the same case with nicknames. I'm looking for maybe an example in France. No, Steph Curry is nicknamed in France Babyface. Uh, LeBron, is, yeah, King LeBron. No, no, we don't have many nicknames translated into French. Uh, maybe Ton, Ton Maker. <laughs> that is a joke. That is a joke in France with Ton Maker because Ton, T-H-O-N, is a kind of, it's a fish. It's a fish. So when I tweet about Ton, I often make a fish. Ton, Ton is a fish. So many, many, many NBA fans uh, are looking about this stuff because Ton <laughs> is a fish. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. Um, so then, because once again, we're going to let Koo talk about Derrick Rose on another podcast. So just sort of looking at the rest of free agency. So you said that you hope that they sign another point guard in addition. Yeah. Um, just sort of what are other general goals for free agency, you think, for the Pistons? Well, obviously, we have to find another center behind Andre. I would like to see Detroit uh, pursuing Ed Davis or Dewey Dinman, some, someone with a small size in order to have a good balance with uh, Dreamer and Maker. Maker, who is 7-1, I think, something like that. So... We have to to have a small center. I think Ed Davis maybe is too much for for our salary cap, but uh, I think that center is the second most important goal to make during the free agency. And then if we have the cap space to do this, uh, the goal is to sign maybe one more forward. And I believe that the the Toliver effect part three could be very very good for the development of the young player. For the integration of Seku in this league, and it could be, it could bring more shooting and, and energy for for all Seku need. And well, we love, we love Anthony Tolliver. I think. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, Vince actually, Vincent Ellis actually tweeted that. Um, yeah. That that it's a possibility he returns. Um, I certainly wouldn't mind him, especially on a vet minimum. Um, the one thing I would say about Tali is that now he didn't have a bad season last year, but he did. He's probably starting to be a little bit over the hill. Um, so. Like, his last season with the Pistons, he was phenomenal. Um, I think he pretty clearly took a step back from that. And, look, it's understandable. He's 33 last year. He's going to be 34 this year. So that's about the time that guys start to slow down a little bit. But no matter what, the guy is going to be able to shoot, and he'll play hard. So I certainly would take him on the team. Um, Yeah, so – and you mentioned – Ed Davis or Dwayne Dedman is options at center. Uh, like you said, they're probably going to be, especially after the Derrick Rose contract, I think those guys are going to be a little out of their pay grade. Um, but I do agree that if possible, they really need to try and find a reliable backup center because um, I'm we like Eric Moreland on this podcast, but you know <laughs> he wasn't that good. And so the last two seasons, the Pistons' backup centers have not been very good. And particularly this past season, by the end of the year, Zaza was just done. He had nothing left. And so, you know, you don't want to get to the point where you're playing your stars, um, you know, a million minutes every night because you have to. And we actually lost Valentine out of the podcast, but um, we're wrapping up anyways, so... I suppose that can just kind of be that. Cool. You want to say anything else to wrap up? Um, I'll just say, uh, in Tyler's defense, I, I watched a lot of uh, Tim Bulls last year, uh, obviously because of Derrick Rose. I lost a lot of them. He was yanked in and out of the lineup a lot. Thibodeau didn't really, uh, Thibodeau didn't really like him, I guess. I don't know why he didn't play a lot, but he didn't play very much at all. He was yanked in, out, in, out, and was very was never really given a consistent role with that team. Just to, if that gives him any kind of defense, but just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not saying that Tali wouldn't have anything left to give. Um, he could still be a useful player, but so his last season in Detroit, and he legitimately, he was excellent. There's no other way to put it. He shot really well from three. He defended at a high level. He started to put the ball on the floor more, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just... If they sign him, I would not expect a replication of that. I would still count on him to be a reliable shooter. He's still going to play hard, et cetera, et cetera. I'd be totally comfortable having him, um, you know, be a minor contributor off the bench. I just wanted to make it clear that I don't think it'd be fair to expect him to replicate um, his last season in Detroit. So, yeah. And Valentine's wife says that his Wi-Fi um, died. So, yeah, uh, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, so... Any last thoughts here before you wrap this up? Be ready for the next podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's going to be a thing. Uh, yeah. So, who's going to get his day in the sun as soon as this this deal is finished all the way? Um, just because there's a pretty good chance this podcast doesn't go up until tonight. Just so you guys know, we are recording this at, like, noon on Sunday. Um, and this podcast probably won't go up until a little bit later tonight. So, so there may have been some other free agency stuff happening. So if you're like, why aren't they talking about the free agency thing that happened other than Derrick Rose? 
if there's something that happened. That's why we didn't talk about it. But we'll talk about all of that later. And we've got some more guests scheduled for later the next couple of weeks. Um, we're supposed to have James Edwards of The Athletic on later this week. Um, we're going to have Evan Damerell, who is the Forbes writer for the Cleveland Cavaliers, on the following week, I think. Um, I should probably ask if Vincent Ellis wants to come on, although he unfollowed me again a little bit ago. So I don't know if he'll want to come on anymore. We'll see about that. <laughs> so um, even though he's not here anymore, a huge thanks to Valentine for coming on. Um, love having Yes, that was really cool. Yeah. That was really cool. You know, I, um, I really just enjoy all of the international accounts, not just his. Um, there's another Pistons France account as well. Uh, so I just, I really think that it's super cool that they follow, um, the Pistons and just to hear the, just to hear the stories. So like, I mean, he said that his brother had two NBA 2K7 and he saw Rip Hamilton with the mask and he thought he was good and he thought he was cool. And his first thought, and he said he was like seven or eight years old. His first thought was, I want to root for the team with the masked guy. And that's how it started. And it just leads to this whole sort of love story with a team in a city. And that's just super cool. So, yeah, um, I think that we should definitely. The problem is you got to make sure they speak at least a little bit of English. But we should. We're, I think we're going to make some efforts to have some more of the international people on, too. I think that'd be good. So, yeah, um, prepare yourselves for uh, Kuka Hill's um, party pod which will probably be the next podcast we record. And I'm probably, I mean, it has to be because I, I promise you it would happen. So I can't put it off any longer than this. We had this podcast scheduled for a couple of weeks, so we couldn't, we couldn't put it over this one, but um, yes. Yeah, so stay beautiful, everybody and go. Pist-